Yeah? Is that good? Is that better? There we go. Very good. Good. Um, <laughs> Gary, I have to laugh for a second. When you first started praying there that the Spirit would make me very aware, I thought he was going to say, of the time. Um, and so I kind of joked around because with Gary earlier when he was like, hey, just a reminder with the way the services are now in preparation for the future, you've got about 25 minutes. And I was like, ah. So, uh, yes, so your prayers are very welcome. Uh, all joking aside, not just for the time, uh, but to honor uh, Jesus and honor his presence and honor what the Spirit has already been doing in our midst this morning. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, uh, Simon and Ben, thank you guys for leading such a beautiful um, preparatory time for our hearts. And not just a time of preparation, but a time of engagement. And so I never, ever want to overlook uh, that I never see worship as a, as, a prep, as a time of preparing for the word. It's, it's all Jesus all the time. It's all of it. And so thank you. Even the, the table, it's the centerpiece of Jesus. So thank you, Gary. And I just, I just want to honor Jesus this morning um, in his presence. So you guys know that we've been going through Acts, and uh, we're going to continue to do that today. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to use that as a launching pad. We'll probably move around a little bit, but go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, I want you to think about something real quick. Um, I love the worship set that we did this morning, especially when we were singing Spirit Break Out. And I want to ask a question. As, as, as we sing those kind of songs, as we welcome the Holy Spirit, um, I, what do you think of? When you're singing those, when you're engaged from, from the eyes of your heart, what are you, what's your spiritual imagination? What does that look like? Spirit come. Right? We're, we're welcoming him. We want to see him move. Uh, we want to see him break out. What does that look like? Well, it dawned on me as we were singing that, um, that oftentimes we long for, and when I sing those things, I long for and I ask and I envision, like, Jesus, what would happen if you came and moved right here, right now in our midst? And I, and I think that's a really good thing for us to, to envision, to, to, to pray, to, to seek. I think it's scriptural. I think it honors the Lord. I think the Lord does that. We see that happen all the time in scripture. But something just engaged my heart as we were singing. And again, not that I prepared any of this, but, but it fits perfectly, I think, into the text that we're looking at. It's, I, I believe that one of the things that the Lord is doing now more than ever is instead of us focusing and envisioning on spirit coming for a sense of visitation to do something powerful in the moment, that the Lord is stirring us, us up and changing our mindsets to think about spirit come, spirit break out, break these walls down. For this personal encounter. I, I want the, 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 the corporate encounter still to come. But when I think about the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, when the spirit comes, when the presence comes on a communal encounter, it's always for one purpose. It's for a purpose of being sent out. And as we've been looking at the purpose uh, and we've been looking at the book of Acts, we see that. What happens in this corporate gathering in Acts chapter 2 is we see the Holy Spirit visit a people and, and the miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire upon men and women who are sitting there waiting for the Spirit to come, just like Jesus has promised. But you know what? As I think about it, and, and don't hold me to this completely, but, but I started thinking while we were worshiping, going, Jesus, like... There, there's, there's a couple other like communal spots through the book of Acts that you show us. But really, all we begin to see is what happens when the Holy Spirit visits 
us as individuals or about a few here and there and what happens as the Holy Spirit then sends us out. It's no longer just saying, Jesus, come and visit me in my church. It's no longer saying, Jesus, come, we want to see a revival break out like in Wales or Azusa Street or whatever it might be. It's like, Jesus, break out in here because when I read my book, my my the book of Acts, what I see is the Holy Spirit, when he touches people, he gets sent out. And so then they start carrying revival wherever they go. It's what Gary was just talking about as he was preparing for that time of communion. It's like what a blessing and what an encouragement that we have to carry the revival. And what is the revival? It is the manifest presence of God in our life, controlling our life as we submit to it. And then therefore we bring revival wherever we go. So when we sing songs like Spirit Break Out, Break My Walls Down, I'm not just saying, I mean, again, I want this. And I think it's biblical to say, Jesus, come, do something in the, in the hundreds and do something in the thousands. Come and do, we want that. Keep praying that. But when I look at the book of Acts, and as we're going to look at it again today, I see like Peter and John, they're walking. And guess what? Revival breaks out as they're going. And then I'm remembering in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, and he said, hey, you need to wait in Jerusalem. Why? So that you get the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you will be my witnesses. Not so that you just gather with people that look like you, act like you, worship like you, and then I keep coming and visiting you. I send my Holy Spirit to revive this so that you go out and carry it everywhere else. So that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I believe as we've walked through these strange times, and as it's been difficult to meet together, I believe that the Holy Spirit is is, is asking us to say, what what kind of revival are you really longing for? And what does it really look like? Because God's pursuit of man has always been about him residing in our hearts. It's always been about him residing in our spirit. The scripture tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Solomon, in the days of the old, in the old covenant, they prayed, they worshiped, they set up a place because they were looking for visitation. But when God came to visit upon them, guess what happened after that? The nation started coming to them. So when God comes and he visits with us, when he reveals himself with us, when he, he, he sends revival, when his presence comes, it's fully for the sake of shining outward. The church has left the building. That has been the call of God the whole time because he's after the heart. He's after a, not just a visitation, you know, some people have said a habitation. He wants to sit in this temple and in your temple so securely, so steadfastly, as John would say, or as Jesus prayed and John recorded, that we may abide in him and he may abide in us. And what? Then we will produce much fruit. It's always been the heart of God. And it's always been the purpose of the Spirit of God, not just to come for a visitation, but to come for a habitation, to come and dwell here and there and there and there and there. So that as we go, Jesus says, as you go, 
make disciples of all nations. I loved when I walked in this morning and I saw the, the mission purpose of, of the journey. And I'm going to mess it up now. <laughs> but it, something about, uh, Gary, help me out. What's it say? The transform, or what's it say? Raising up a generation to transform Lisbon, this nation, and the nations of the world. And it doesn't just happen by us having a really good gathering on Sunday morning. It happens when we have really good gatherings every single day in the presence of the Lord wherever we are. So in Acts chapter 6, we see this. Okay, We see less and less of these coming together as of large groups for visitation, but we begin to see what happens when the Holy Spirit is habitating with his people. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about um, you know, um, Stephen and, and, and all of that, and there was this issue in the church, and the apostles are like, hey, we got to do our thing. Uh, we need to raise up some other people to do some other things. And Stephen was one of those guys, okay? And so let's go on to chapter, or no, chapter 6, verse 8. Start reading there. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Stop right there. Real quick, just a reminder, Stephen was not an apostle. It's important for us. Again, what's one of the things the Holy Spirit's doing right now is he's reminding us that you don't have to just be behind here or up here to have power to be witnesses. The Lord wants to do supernatural feats through every single one of us. And Stephen is a perfect example of that. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonder signs in, among the people. And I just want to say this. Spirit, break out, break our walls down. God, I ask that even right now that you would break down the walls and the mindsets that say, I can't do the miraculous. That's for someone else. And we also break down the walls in our minds that say, uh, God, that's only for church gatherings. Because that doesn't, that's not what's in your word. So break those walls down in Jesus' name. Verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Syrians and Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And the council was, was the Sanhedrin, okay? That was the ruling uh, powers that be, the Jewish rulers. And so uh, these guys, that <laughs> they were actually just trying to create commotion. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God manifests. When he pushes out, he begins to storm the gates of Hades that will not prevail. But it stirs things up and it causes a reaction. It causes a pushback, right? And that's what's happening. Verse 13, so they put forward a false witness who said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face shine uh, like the face 
of an angel. Now, I want you to turn over real quick to Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. And what I really want to do is I just want to highlight a few, um, a few passages. Because as I was preparing uh, for this week, that, 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 that idea, or not just the idea, that the picture of Stephen shining. His face shining like an angel. It just, that's, that's what kept sitting in my spirit. And so as I de- did that, I just began to sat, sit in the scripture and I'm like, okay, Lord, show me, some, show me what you're saying in this. Why is this important for us today? Uh, what, are you, what are you trying to say? And so with that, the Lord began to read me then to this passage, some of which is going to be very, very familiar to you. So I'm going to read a chunk of scripture. So, so hang in there and, and walk with me. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 Uh, verse 7 and following. But if the ministry, well, actually, sorry, let's let's go back to verse 4. This is Paul speaking. Such confidence we have through Christ, through God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, pause, hold with me here together, because I'm going to start connecting a few passages, okay? Where else in the Bible do you remember a face shining? Like Stephen's. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, talk. Moses, right? Moses, I think, is, is the first glimpse that we have of that. Now, granted, the Lord said in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, may there, let there be light, right? So that's the first like, breakthrough of light that we see. Um, but we look back, and if you look at Exodus chapter 34, I'm not going to have you turn there right now. We see Moses, okay, on Mount Sinai. He's communing with God. He's in the council of God, and he doesn't realize it, but he's receiving a covenant from God, which is the, the Ten Commandments, right? You guys tracking with me so far? So here he is face to face with God, and actually the verse there, this is important, it actually says that he, Moses was not aware that his face was shining because he was listening to God. Okay, you can go back and look at it for yourself, but Exodus 34, he, he, didn't, he wasn't aware that his face was shining because he had been speaking and or listening to God. And then we're told what happens is, is that when Moses comes out, down off the mountain, this is actually his second time coming off of the mountain. If you remember the first time he came down with the stone tablets written by God for the people, what was going on? They'd gotten a little lazy, they'd gotten a little impatient, they, they, they made an idol and they said, let's use this idol as a way to worship God, which was a big no-no, right? Moses came down, Moses was mad, God was mad, Moses threw the rocks down, and what happened was is this, listen to this, God, after another chapter or so, uh, you know, basically said, Moses, what are you going to do about this? Moses said, who's with the Lord? The Levites came. They all took daggers out. And listen to this. 3,000 people were killed. Now, this is important for us to understand this passage here. 3,000 people were killed that day because of the nature, listen to this, of the covenant of the law. Because remember, the covenant of the law, what it does in a New Testament perspective is it makes us aware of our sin. It condemns us. And that ministry of condemnation, by view of what sin is in our life, we actually need that. Because if we don't know what sin is, then we're going we're gonna to think that everything's okay, right? 
You guys tracking with me? But if we know what, the sin, well, if we know what sin is, then therefore we're accountable to it. And, and when we know what the law is, the law of God, it then condemns us because we look at it and we go, oh my goodness, I'm unworthy, I'm unrighteous, I have sinned, I've broken that law. So in one way, and you're going to see this in a second, Paul calls it a ministry of condemnation. Okay? The ministry of condemnation, and just track with me for a moment, killed 3,000 people in one day. Now what Paul's about to say is this, but, where's that verse at? Um, But for the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. When Jesus by his blood, by his resurrection, sent his spirit, which was the deposit and the guarantee of the covenant set upon us, not that we would be condemned, but that we would be made right with God. The spirit gives life. What happened when the spirit of God came upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2? How many people were saved that day? 3,000. See the connection? All of a sudden, Paul, what Paul is saying to us here is like going, look, the letter of the law kills. And the letter of the law is a condemning law. Okay? Now, track with me for one more moment. I know I'm trying to connect some dots here. If all that we have running through our minds and our hearts is condemnation, will we shine? Will we live in light? Will we exude the life of the Spirit. We won't. We won't. I don't know about you, but like I have this this enemy that I fight with all the time. Its name is shame. And it's it's a really close relative of condemnation. So is guilt. And so is a lot of other things. Right? But see, if I continue to resort to the letter of the law, if I continue to look at that as my standard, I will continually see myself fall short. And we do this all the time as believers. We do. We get in this trap because the enemy wants to do nothing more than to continually raise up a ministry of condemnation in front of us. Right? Now, it's important, like I said. But what the Spirit of God says is, know what? There is, no, there is therefore now what? No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? And the lawful guilt that we would have carried, Jesus did away with. And the shame of, of, of our sin, the shame of what we have done, the enemy wants to do nothing else but continually bring that up, which does what? It doesn't produce life. It produces death. It doesn't allow us to shine. It actually probably makes us dull. Because one is of the Spirit, and one, which is life, and one is of the law, which is death. Now, what's this have to do with Stephen? What's this have to do with shining? Let's keep going. Verse 7. But the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face, fading as it was. How will the ministry of... uh, Sorry, lost my place there. Uh, Where was I? Let me just start that over. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? 
For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, okay, that's what I was just saying. the, The ministry of condemnation actually has a measure of glory attached to it. How much more, though, does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case has, listen, no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains is in glory. Keep reading. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses. Again, Moses representing the ministry in some respects of death. Okay, the ministry of the law, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah. Now, listen. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, listen, there is liberty. Let me say that again. Where the the Lord is the Spirit. And on a theological note, that means God is the same as the Holy Spirit. It means that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't a lesser than. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, listen, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Jesus shone. Do you remember that? Remember Jesus close to the end of his ministry? He was up on a mountain. And he took uh, a couple of the disciples with him. And then all of a sudden, the scripture tells us he was transformed. He was transfigured. It's the exact same word that Paul uses right here. About how we can be transformed as we contemplate the Lord's glory. Right? And, and, and the disciples that were with Jesus at that moment, they saw Jesus transfigured and they said he was shining like the sun. He was the bearer of the glory of God. He was an image, just like gazing into a mirror, just like looking like God, he began to reflect that same glory, that same light that God himself had. You know, and Peter and the other guys were like, whoa, what's going on? You know, they were a bit confused. And then the Father from heaven spoke and said, This is my Son, whom I love. And then he said, and then listen, he goes, Now listen to him. This is important, because just like back in Exodus, Moses was on a mountain. He was in the presence of God. He carried a measure of glory, because how many of you know when we are in the presence of God, we begin to shine. We begin to reflect his glory. It's what happens. That's what this text said. We go from glory to glory as we contemplate, as we gaze at, as we look at him. Actually, and and what the text really says is as we look at him as in a mirror, 
we see him and we see ourselves in him and we take on his very image. That's what this text is saying, right? So Moses did it back then. And then Jesus, of course, took on the very image of God. He was God, though in human form, he received a glory that came from God by the Spirit because he put his divinity aside. So when he encountered God, as he abided in God, as he gazed at God, he himself was transformed into the very image of his Father in front of other people, right? And then he went to his death. Okay, so Aaron, what's the point? Part of the point is, I want you guys to dig deeper into this yourselves. But the more specific point is this. We have been called to reflect the glory of the Lord. And as we abide in his, very, very, in his presence, as we do this on a day-to-day basis, as we do this not just in these large group gatherings, but as we pursue his presence, we begin to shine more and more. Our glory becomes his glory. Jesus prayed, God, may they have the same glory that you have given me. And what is that glory? It's this oneness and perfection with God. It is this beautiful relation that we, relationship that we cultivate with him. And it's empowered by his spirit then to, so that we will begin to reflect and radiate his very glory in the world. But listen, we don't begin to shine when all we do is sit amongst ourselves. Because just like Jesus... He was a light sent to the darkness. Where does light shine? Light doesn't shine very bright with lots of other light, does it? It just kind of all looks the same. And that's great. It's good to be in a really, really well-lit room. But that was never the intended purpose of the Spirit of God. That was never the intended purpose of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was poured out on you and me so that we would walk so that we would talk, so that we would go into the midst of the darkest places of the world, the darkest places of society. And sometimes we don't have to go too far because dark comes right into our face. But, but when we, as men and women, full of the glory of the Lord, begin to listen and then to speak and declare who Jesus is, we begin to shine. And for, and for Stephen, most of you know the rest of the story. He gets up and he shares a beautiful message about who Jesus is and how the very people that were accusing them were the ones that killed him. And then he was stoned to death. It's very interesting to me that also that Jesus, when he transfigured and he shone the brightest, was right when he began pursuing Jerusalem and he was killed. I'm not a, I'm not a doom and gloom guy at all. I'm not. But when I read my Bible, I see it say, that we are the light of the world, Jesus says. So I'm going to put it on a hill so that it can't be hidden, right? And then my Bible also tells that Jesus says, hey guys, it's going to get dark. It's actually going to get real dark. But where does light shine the brightest? Where does the glory of God manifest itself the most? In the most impossible situations. Right in the front of the gates, uh, the gates of hell where the enemy is trying to exhort his authority and right in the midst of whether it means life or death for you and I. And I want to finish with this. Because this is a call. This is a call in our lives. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise and shine, 
for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now listen, for behold, darkness will cover the earth. Guys, we know, we know it's going to get darker. We've seen a glimpse of that. You know, I think most of the people living in this generation, we haven't experienced some of the things on a global scale that we see shifting and moving, right? We, ha- we, we just, it's different. I, every, when I hear people say those kinds of things, you know, most of us, we haven't lived through a great world war. We haven't listened, but, but we see where things are going. But beloved, I share this as a word of hope. I share this as a word that Jesus gave his various disciples. I share this as a word that Paul was giving to the the Corinthian church that says, no, it's time to arise and shine. It's time to arise and let the glory of God come upon you. For yes, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes. Look at that. Lift up your eyes. Gaze as you intently gaze as in a mirror the glory of, the, of God. As you lift up your eyes round and about and see. Look, they're all gathered together they come to you your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms then you will see and be radiant you will shine and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you the wealth of the nations will come to you the Lord saying spirit break out come we're singing and my, my encouragement, my exhortation to all of us this morning, myself, is this. The Spirit has come. We need to continue to say, Spirit, break out in here. And then break out out there. Because that's where the light shines. That's where the glory is seen. We've already been commissioned. Now all we've got to do is go. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit is, is not, not, your spirit is not a spirit of a gatherer. He's a spirit of a, of a scatterer. So God, I'm going to pray something scary. Would you scatter us? God, would you shift our mindsets? God, may we continually fall deeper and deeper in love with you. May we gaze at you, but Lord, may our glory not fade like it did for Moses. May we live in the spirit. May we continually hear your voice speak over us. Yes, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have been made new. We are a new creation. We've been empowered by you to go. So God, I pray that you would break the wineskins, create new wineskins to carry this wine that you're pouring out. It's actually an old wineskin and an old wine that you've been pouring out forever. You've just made us more and more aware of it today in this hour. So God, may we take the commission of your word. May we take the commission of your spirit and carry it with confidence, just like Stephen did. So that the, whether it's a religious spirit, whether it's a political spirit, or whether it's actually just the, any spirit that comes from the gates of hell, that we would just stand and boldly declare Jesus. And that we may shine a reflection of your glory. Because as as, uh, um, as a, actually, as, as the next chapter in Corinthians says, and as Gary reminded us, we are but jars of clay. We reflect your glory, God. 
So come and visit us. Break our walls down that we may reflect the glory of your will in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.